Welcome to Side Talks, the official podcast of the Sidewalk Film Festival and the new Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema, your one-stop shop for all things cinema. My name is Corey Kraft. I am a features programmer for all those things I just mentioned. And I am Rachel Morgan. Did you like that? Yes. Uh, I am the creative director for all those things that Corey just mentioned. And you can't see this, but we are sitting in comfortable chairs right now. Boutwell has been so kind to to sit us down in very lovely, like, high arm chairs. I'm feeling very comfortable. It's going to be a shame when these things fly across the room in a few moments when we start fighting. They nailed them to the ground, so we can't do that. Okay, that's good. There is a giant gong behind your head, though. (laughs) And I'm going to use that. Okay, that's good. So welcome to the podcast where we talk about all things cinema. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute round one fight. fight. Hey, guess what it's time for? It's time for a five-minute fight. Five-minute fight! All right, we're both fans of Lars von Trier. That's right. Danish provocateur. Sue me. Uh, We disagree, however, on one of his more recent movies, uh, a movie that I don't have much use for, but you, I think like a great deal, uh, his two-part uh, sexual exploration epic Nymphomaniac with Charlotte Gainsbourg and Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, Rachel, start us off here in this five-minute fight by explaining why you hold this film, of all films, in such high regard uh, in his filmography. Well, for one, I mean, did you just hear your description of this film? That's fair. Yeah. So, it sounds I mean, better when I when I talk about it than oh, it is to watch on. it. You you kind of just described why I like this film so much. Um, and, you know, in true form, I hope somebody started the timer because in true form, I'm arguing with you about a film I haven't seen in over five years. Oh, I haven't seen it since it came out. So um, let's yeah, do pretty it. much. So the blind fighting the blind. <laughs> I am really ill prepared for this, but I think it's excellent. Uh-huh. Um, I, I really, and I maybe enjoy is not the right word cause that could get me in trouble, but I thought it was, I thought it was a really great film and I thought it was as is typical for Von Trier. It's like, you've got to get on, on the boat and take the ride all the way start to finish. And I did do that. And I, I was happy that I did, um, sure. maybe happy again is the wrong word. This, I'm usually willing to do that. I did that of course, with his more recent film, the house that Jack built, which is even more you know, controversial critically than Nymphomaniac. I did that even with his notorious um, Antichrist. Right. Uh, and of course, the one that everybody kind of likes of his recent output, um, Melancholia, I think is, is a masterpiece. <laughs> everybody kind of likes it. Yeah. I mean, I you don't know, know about that. That's the, but... one that, that's the one that even Von Trier detractors have to admit that there is, there's something to that. Sure. One. Uh, Nymphomaniac is the one where I, I got on board, I took the ride, I didn't feel like the ride actually went anywhere. It's, what? Um, it's, it's kind of circuitous. It ends like the closing moments of this just make everything feel pointless like some sort of you know even more that of a sick point. joke that than, than his sure fine i i just you know i think it is even amongst his recent output incredibly self-indulgent even right. by his standards which you know again you have to have a tolerance for self-indulgence if you're going to get into large fun sure. at all but even by his already permissive standards, I couldn't get on board with it. I think that Charlotte Gainsbourg is good, but there's just too much about the circuitous nature, the sort of going in circles of this movie that I couldn't get on board with. And I'm not a fan, and I'm not a fan of it in the house that Jack built either, but I'm not a fan of his video essay montage style yeah. of editing that he's done in these last two movies. Yeah, that's the thing that really seems to have gotten you about these. Yeah, You know, I... 
I, I disagree. I mean, I don't know that you're saying anything necessarily wrong here. I mean, I'm not going to argue. Can we put that on a T-shirt? <sighs> I said here, specifically okay, in this fine. moment. Um, because I do think that, you know, I think these films are, this film is, films really, are built to be disliked. Yeah. They're built to sort of take you to places that you don't really want to go. And yet I think this is sort of art working. Sure. I feel that way about, you know, Antichrist. And I feel that way to, you know, with reservations about the house that Jack built, which I don't think is entirely successful either. But there's an element of autobiography to that one. Sure. As screwed up as it is that that I think. And you don't think there's an element of autobiography here? I mean, clearly that's a thread that runs yeah. through all of Von Trier's films. You know, as I said that aloud, I realized that that could be true of, of Nymphomaniac. And I'll give him some credit. It's it's a daunting prospect to go back and revisit. So I haven't. Right. But, but one day I probably should to, to evaluate it on those grounds. Yeah. And I'm trying to think if, if folks are listening who haven't seen this these couple of films, I would imagine they're probably pretty darn bored right now. Uh-huh. Um, because it's, it is one of those things where it's like, you're, I'm arguing about something that's really hateable and intentionally hateable. Um, but I'm going to, I stand by that. And so, and I, you know, I have to just say, I don't think you're coming very strong here with anything that would, that would make me think that otherwise that this film isn't to be liked. Well, you know, overall, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of his overall, um, but this is the one for whatever reason. I mean, there have been some others that I couldn't quite get on board with, but this is this is his big work of late that that has just completely missed me. I think that there are elements to it that I really responded to. Uma Thurman has, you know, a, a knockdown blowout scene in in volume one in particular. And overall, as I recall, I think volume one is slightly better than volume two. Okay. Um, more engaging, I guess better is relative. Right? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that either, but hmm. okay. Yeah. I, and, and look, I mean, it's been fully five years since I've seen this or these movies. Yeah, so I can't yeah. explain why that, was, that felt like a fast five minutes. It felt was... like a fast five minutes, but also maybe a very boring five minutes. Well, we Sam, didn't... do you want to, I think you can just come in here and call me that like, I, I'm not really sure that Corey was even arguing against this film. I was arguing against it in that it doesn't, like, work. (laughs) Great. This was the most sedate possible conversation about a movie called Nymphomaniac. Oh, man. It's no Tom Hanks. No, no. We had to make up for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where I, you almost had a stroke and cried and acted like a baby on the I ground. I banged my head against the, the, the floor. Sam's yes. not even coming in. Look at this. Sam's not even. He's like, I'm so, this is so dull. I'm not even coming in there to, to cage this. This off. is the entertainment that our listeners crave. Sam, okay? what are you doing? Well, we're probably going to get more fired up in a minute with the next one. I don't know about that. So who won the damn argument, y'all? This wasn't even an argument. That's why y'all liked it. Oh, come on. Thank you. Thank you. That would be Corey's wife chiming in to say that he won. I'm going to go to Judge Judy with this. (laughs) This is bullshit. Um, Apparently, we we just kind of murmured our way to a draw here. (laughs) Can we have like some kind of sound effect here? But it's just like a wah, wah, wah. (laughs) (laughs) The the price is right. Like... Yeah. Or I bet we could find a good one from, from Nymphomaniac to put in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, next. 
And now, a look at what we're watching this week. So, Corey, what are you watching right now? So I want to talk about two films I just saw at uh, at the multiplexes. Um, both came out as we're recording it this past weekend. Um, one I recommend pretty unreservedly, and the other, you know, has a few issues as, as critics have been um, have pointed out. Uh, the first I want to talk about is Hustlers, um, which is what if what if Goodfellas but with strippers. Um, and J-Lo. And J-Lo. Um, I haven't seen it, but Hustlers I'm looking forward to it. Hustlers is terrific. It's, um, it's written and directed by Lorene uh, Scafaria, um, a director whose previous film, um, Seeking a Friend at the End of the World, that's the only one of hers that I've seen. She also did a film called The Meddler. This is a step forward, as far as I can tell, in ambition and in, in scale. Um, an ensemble crime comedy based on a true story about a group of of strippers, of exotic dancers who, um, well, hustle Wall Street executives out of a great deal of money uh, by luring them to the club, drugging them and um, using these these men in this inhibited state, um, like getting them to run up a, a credit card bill. Um, it's a pretty sharp commentary on the 2008 financial crisis, uh, and explores the sort of under, underrepresented community of, of women, um, who are, you know, struggling to make ends meet and, and what happens when they push their luck too far, because it is a true crime story that charts their, their rise and fall. The lead of the film is, is Constance Wu. Um, who you may recall was the lead of Crazy Rich Asians. She's she's very good in this movie. But the story, the takeaway, as you mentioned, is Jennifer Lopez, who is truly extraordinary. Um, genuinely the best thing she's done since Out of Sight, which is a movie that I love from 1998. But since then, you know, with relatively few exceptions, she's she's coasted somewhat. She's lived exclusively in rom-com land. Right. Um, I hope this marks a sort of career renaissance for her. Um, because she's always been a talented actress who fell victim to various sensational tabloid headlines that derailed her career and, and, you know, seemed content to, you know, make that money in the, in the rom-com sphere rather than push herself as an actress. And you can't really begrudge her that, but I am glad that she, you know, has made this something of a comeback, um, after being kind of sidelined in recent years. Um, I recommend Hustlers quite a bit. Um, the other film that I saw this weekend uh, is The Goldfinch, um, the adaptation of Donna Tartt's 2013 Pulitzer Prize winning novel. Um, it is genuinely an attempt to condense this nearly 800 page book into a two and a half hour um, film. It's not a book that I've I've read. I've, I'm reading it now. In fact, supposedly a very um, good book. Though, supposedly yes, a very good book. A lot of people agree and have purchased this book. So it's yeah. like a major bestseller. I and this it. was a highly anticipated adaptation um, that doesn't really work, um, as you can imagine from what I how I just described it. An attempt to well condense and this sprawling novel into can I- a film. Just interject really quickly yeah. and say that you're you're saying this film doesn't work, and I, ha- I haven't seen it. Yeah. But I would go ahead and five minute fight it just to be positive uh-huh. because it does include a performance from my wife Nicole Kidman. Am yeah. I correct? And and you know what? The performances are not the problem with this movie. Well, of course not. So thank you for saving your own ass <laughs> by saying that. But 
I can't imagine it's as bad as everybody's saying it's it not. is. It's not. It's okay. not at all. It's it's a movie that doesn't work, but it has so many wonderful individual moments within it that, you know, I, I think I liked it a lot more than most people seem to. Some of the reviews are calling it the sort of unqualified disaster. They wanted to hate it. I think it's, they wanted. I mean, anytime you've got this like beloved book, right? right you want to like you want to you're going to hate on that film unless it does exactly what you want it to. So it's not a disaster. It's, right. a, it's a very earnest attempt to sort of cram all of this incident into, you know, the single film. And, you know, obviously it, it's a grand sort of coming of age melodrama that probably does work better on the page. But it is a respectable attempt to bring it to the screen, even if. You know, it doesn't really add up to a whole lot. Um, you can you can definitely see the seams here, but it's beautifully directed. The cinematography is by Roger Deakins, so you know it looks good. And the performances, with a couple exceptions, are all really strong. I actually think Nicole Kidman's very good in it, in a, in a somewhat limited role. That's right. Keep 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 going um, down that path. And, <laughs> and Jeffrey Wright in a supporting role is also really good. Um, and I thought the leads. Um, Oaks Fegley plays the younger version of the main character, Theo, and, and Ansel Elgort, the lead of Baby Driver, plays the adult version. I think they're all they're both very good as well. Um, no surprise there, though, yeah. right? No surprise there. So so I, I imagine this is a movie that's going to be disappointing a lot of book readers. But w- as someone without that attachment, um, I think I was able to see it like as, as the noble failure that it is. It's sure. not a disaster. It's just a movie that doesn't really work. And those happen sometimes. Sure. Well, I will just add that I was talking to, I haven't seen Hustlers. Is that right? Yeah. Haven't seen it yet. I'm going to see it Wednesday night. I will check back with you. I'm. Everybody's telling me I'm going to love it. So we'll see what goes on. But uh, I was talking a little bit to Melody Sisk, who is, of course, a friend of the festival and a filmmaker and has done some of our interviews for us mm-hmm. on the podcast. Um, and she mentioned that she thought that, uh, first of all, it's ex- excellent. She agrees with you. Um, but that J-Lo looks like she really smells really good. Um, and so I do think that your segment here, because I can tell you right now that I guarantee you that Nicole Kidman smells really good, too, that this is like two films with people who smell really good. That should be in your podcast segment. There we go. What have you been watching? Um, okay, so I am pathetic and uh, haven't really much left the cinema since we've opened the doors. Um and I'm looking forward to getting out into the general public uh, this week and going to see Hustlers. But um, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about Norma Ray, which we screened. We screened, mm-hmm. as a, I'm just very proud to say, as part of a Labor Day sort of triple feature where we screened 9 to 5 and Norma Ray and Office Space, all films, you know, venting about work, so to speak. Um, and was really taken because I haven't seen Norma Ray in years. It's been a while. It was a film that I saw as a kid um, and just thought, you know, who knows what my child brain thought about Norma Ray, except that, like, boy, factories are tough and I don't want to work there. That's probably about was my takeaway. Yeah. Um, but rewatching it sort of, first of all, just a, a shout out to being able to screen stuff on DCP. It just looked really, really amazing. It actually, that's the other thing is having seen it as a kid on probably HBO Showtime or something sure. and then revisiting it again, probably on DVD. Um, you know, have, have not seen it in the theater and seeing it in the theater on, on, on that format was just was gorgeous, amazing, interesting, felt like it's the first time I'd seen it, all of it. Um, but I love how much sort of two other takeaways, which is uh, that I love how hard Sally Field is working in this. I mean, I just feel like this is the era for her when she's really, really wanting to just be the greatest actress who ever lived. And I mean that with, with all due respect. Like, I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. Like, she's just working really hard. And I, I kept thinking, man, that's, 
Like, I feel like the way that she, and not just how hard she's working in terms of like her character works, but I mean how hard she's working as an actor, right? And I'm thinking her sort of grabbing her mom and pulling her mom out in that opening scene, her, my mom's deaf and sort of taking her to the manager mm-hmm. and the whole thing. Um, I That's how hard I work to teach. I work that hard teaching and trying to get my students to listen to me with, with about as equal results as Sally Field has in that. Not as, as an actor, but as her character, Norma right. Ray has in that scene of getting anybody to listen to her. So I really love that because I related. Um, and then second of all, what a great relationship that she has with Bo Bridges in the sense that, that it's really the sort of, uh, sort of traditional role flip where, I mean, he's clearly sort of on her ass and all those kind of things. But um, there's this, like, moment where he, where she's clearly has this interest in, you know, the union organizer. And I, maybe interest is just, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I'm not, we're not really sure where that's going at that, at that moment. Um, really at all, probably in the film. And she sort of has this conversation with her husband in, in their bedroom and says, you know, he's basically asking her, like, have you slept with this guy? And she's like, no, but, you know, he's in my head. And there's this sort of, like, conversation between them that I thought was just such a lovely portrayal of of a marriage in a particular way that I hadn't, you know, it sort of seems so unique. Um, and then they sort of get in bed and there's this conversation that he has with her about how he doesn't really have anybody else in his head and how he's going to see her grow old and da-da-da-da. And she sort of, like, pull, like leans in and sort of holds him. And I just thought, what a lovely moment that I was that I had forgotten about and wasn't expecting, and is so unique to that film. And um, I thought it was really lovely. That's a degree of of emotional honesty that American film doesn't really touch anymore, right? Um, you know, unique to that era of New Hollywood, which Norma Ray comes in the closing days, I guess, of, of New Hollywood in at, in the late seventies. Um, but what a what a refreshing thing it must be to see a movie specifically geared towards adults functioning on an adult level. Not to you know be too critical of, of current output, but I mean look around us. You know what I mean. Um, you don't get. I mean, this is the the old man thing to say, I guess. But you don't really get movies like that. You're grandpa in the armchair right now. I am grandpa literally in the armchair, grandpa but, in the armchair. But I feel like it is justified here. Yeah, I so I was I really it was enjoyable to see that to see that film again and yeah. that's that's what I'm watching. And now fast film terms. Hey Corey. Hey Rachel. Guess what it's time for? Fast film terms. Fast film terms. All right. So I got one for you. Okay. What's a cookie? A delicious baked treat. Why yes that... it is. <laughs> but it's also something else, do you know? I don't actually. So it's uh it's a sort of a tool that you would use for lighting and it's um to be to be as reductive as I possibly can, it's just you cut you can cut shapes out of, and of course these come pre-made, and but you can cut shapes out of uh, basically a piece of like f- a wood like a, like or a, even we would it's do not it like in, a gel. No, it, we would do it in film school all the time uh-huh. and cut it out of um, foam core, and you can cut, make sort of homemade cookies. <laughs> oh. uh, and we would cut it out of foam core, but you can of course buy them, and you basically when you put light through it, right, it it create it cast a shadow on the wall. So you could do this to create you know a, the look of something on pattern on a wall. Oh. Uh, and if you adjust focus, you can kind of soften it and change the look of it. And uh, and my understanding is that this is that cookie is short for Kugelorus, which is a film festival with good friends of ours in uh, Wilmington that we like a lot. No kidding. Named after the Kukulorus, which is aka the cookie. Well, how about that? I had no idea of this. Fast film terms. Huh. What's this shit? You just came right out of the gate singing. Yeah, because you won't do it. You won't throw down and sing what's the shit. Yeah. So you leave it to me. So I'm on the tread. Okay. I'm at the gym, clearly on the tread. And first of all, let me just get this out of the way because I've got a little time on this one because you're going to get it right away. Okay. You know what annoys me? 
Glenn. I, I can only <laughs> I can only hazard a guess. Well, you know I'm annoyed by the hot girl at the gym who's been back. She's got her racer back on. Like yeah. I I'm I've how, just I've gotten past she? it though. I'm annoyed with the juicers that, you know, are like and dropping weights and farting on me. I'm annoyed with that. I'm annoyed with just being at the gym. But I'm also annoyed when like a freaking Olympic marathon runner gets on the tread right next to me and just starts going to town like it's effortless. Like she's basically eating a Snickers bar while she's like running on the treadmill like at like lightning fast speed. And I'm overdoing what's not I clearly not running. Um, But anyway, what's on. So that's happening. There's people all around me. and, And there were. Plenty of free treadmills, by the way. But instead, she gets on the one right next to me and just really, like, shows me up. And I tried to, like, put the speed up a little bit and just, you know, very quickly ran out of breath. And um, anyway, it was sad. Oh, believe me. It was very sad. Uh, Why she couldn't take her ass three treadmills down, I don't know, but she didn't. (laughs) So anyway, here's what's on the screen. You're going to get it really quickly. Um, Tim Curry's in it. It's an old house. That's Clue? Yes, it's Clue. Can you believe it? They really switch things up at the gym. Like, we can't even call that What's This Shut. That's a really great film. Yeah, yeah. I'm very pro-Clue. It's a fun movie. you got that in just Old House and Tim Curry. And, I mean, that's not terribly surprising, but there you go. Anything else you want to say about it? Uh, it, No, it's really good. It's really funny. I love Madeline Kahn in that movie. Oh, there it is. That was What's This Shut. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today I'm going to talk about a movie called Wings of Desire. Released in 1987, directed by German director Wim Wenders, and has been called an art film for the masses. If you haven't seen it, the film is about invisible, immortal angels who wander Berlin listening to people's thoughts. One of the angels, played by Bruno Ganz, falls in love with a human. In the 40 years that had passed since World War II, German characters in film were usually portrayed as stereotypical ice-cold villains. Winters had been away from Germany for eight years, and so when he returned home, he wanted to make a movie about the Germany in his heart. Being home rekindled his fascination with Berlin, which had not been rebuilt after being bombed in World War II, and at the time was still divided by a wall between East and West. Winders spent hours walking, taking pictures of the city, and putting the photos on a wall to study them, and he noticed for the first time just how many statues of angels there were. And he said, the whole idea of the angels was something that I always felt that the city itself had suggested. Most of the film was shot on location, but the production was not allowed to shoot at the Berlin Wall, so a replica was built, close to the original. It had to be redone because the first wall warped in the rain as the contractor had cheated the producers and built it from wood. Production on the film started without a script. The idea was so strange and poetic, Winders thought any plot or elaborate story could only ruin it. All he had was a wall full of pictures of all the places he knew they were going to shoot and another wall with ideas for scenes. The film really unfolded on a day-to-day basis. Winders imagined that angels would speak poetically, almost in a lofty, old-fashioned style, so language became especially important. To help with dialogue, he called upon German writer Peter Hank, who turned him down but then felt bad about it. So from his home in Salzburg, Hank would write dialogue without any direction of description and mail it to Winders, who would piece parts of it into scenes. For the angel's love interest, Winders cast French theater actress Solveig Domart in her screen debut. Her character is a trapeze artist, so she trained for weeks with a circus performer. While shooting the scene, she fell nearly 17 feet to the floor, landing on her back, 
but her coach sent her straight back to the trapeze to start the routine over. They learned later that she had a concussion. Late in the production, Winders decided that the film needed some humor, and after much discussion, they contacted TV's Columbo, Peter Falk, who they knew would be recognizable to an international audience. There wasn't a script to send him, so Winders called and talked him through what they had shot so far, and then asked if he could be in Berlin by the end of the week. Falk was genuinely delighted to hear there was no script, as he had made several films with director John Cassavetes, who often asked actors to improv their scenes. The film is shot in color and in black and white, which represents the world as seen by the angels. Winders coaxed 77-year-old Henry Alleken out of retirement to be his director of photography. To add an ethereal effect to black and white scenes, Alleken used an old silk stocking as a camera filter. Two years after the film was released, the Berlin Wall came down, and within a short time, Berlin was transformed. Winders sees his film as being made in the nick of time to preserve the strange, legendary place that it had been. In 1998, Wings of Desire was remade with Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan as City of Angels, a movie that bears no resemblance to the original at all. All right, let's go! Big, big bucks, today's my day, let's go! Big bucks, no whammies, no whammies, big bucks, big bucks, here we go, stop! Do you, do you hear the sound of thunder? In the, in the far, in the distance? far distance. Because that means lightning is about to strike. It's the filmmaker lightning round time, and Rachel... Today, we're going to talk about, um, well, every hipster's favorite working filmmaker. Mm. We're going to talk about the films of Wes Anderson. Um, this is one of my guys. I got some guys. This is one of them. His film, Rushmore, is one of those formative movies that helped me get into film right. in a serious way. So I will always have a fondness for him and that movie in particular. Um, but... Um, Let's start uh, with a film by Wes Anderson that you really, really like. You know, I really, really like a lot of them. I mean, that's probably not much of a surprise. I know that's super on the nose, but I mean, they're they're really enjoyable films. Um, I'd probably go, hmm, uh, I think I'm going to go a little bit around and probably surprise you a little bit with uh, Darjeeling Limited. You I know, like it a lot. This could not be more typical. For you and me. This is your least favorite or it's, you dislike? It's, it's by far my least favorite. Oh, it's by good. Far I've landed in just favorite. the place in I fact, wanted to. It's the one, the one movie he's ever made that I don't really like. Whoa. Yeah. I, I, I really like to completely adore every single other thing he's made. You managed to pick the one. Because of course you did. Because, because of course it's the best one. That's why. It's the best one. Well, that's an empirically insane thing to say. <laughs> but we can talk about that some other time. Ooh, I want to argue about that film. Yeah. Because well, I'll win that one. Okay. All right. Go right ahead. Mark it, mark it Sam. So, mark it, Sam. We're going to argue about the Darjeeling Limited. Hey, I'll rewatch it. Hey, Sam, can you also mark that Corey's angry at a film I like that he too likes? I just don't like. He just likes it less than me. So I make don't note like of that. It. I don't like it. You it's don't the like one it. that I don't like. Whoa. Yeah, it's the one that I don't think works. Well, there, Unlike, that answered that question of a lightning round. Yeah, yeah. We can mark that. Um, well, you're going to get pissed when we get to that question. Oh, Whoop. my God. Oh, my God. Um, Rushmore for me. Because, good, like I just good. said, it's, I love it. It's great. But I could say that easily about, you know, six other movies. So sure. I forget the next question because I got all steamed. Um, so weird. So <laughs> That that is what you're upset about. 
Anyway, ask me no, another I'm question. Not, ask I, me I another guess question. I'm not really upset. I'm just, <laughs> you know, this is just, it's just, of course. Let's go right course. to it. Let's go right to it. All ask right. me the one that I don't really like. What's the one you don't really like? Oh, you're going to be so mad. Okay. Moonrise Kingdom. I'm not that mad. Okay. I, I also don't I, love I, Bottle I, Rocket. Oh, okay. I like that one a lot. I like them both a lot. Moonrise Kingdom, I think, is wonderful. Why don't you like it? I just found it to be a little too, like, Wes Anderson extreme in this particular mm. way. It was like, okay, I get it. I get it. Cute, 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 cute. Um, and it made me a little uncomfortable at certain moments just because it's like, I don't know. It's just icky. It gets too much. It's like, I like pancakes and I like syrup. And you can just keep holding that syrup over the pancakes and keep going and going and ruin my pancakes for me. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't make me that mad. If you had said Rushmore or Tenenbaums or Grand Budapest Hotel, I, I'd, you know, I'd yeah. be furious. But, but Those that are one, great films. Yeah. That one, that one doesn't bother me that much. Um, it doesn't have the edge that those have. Right? Yeah. So it, it's missing a little bit of that edge, I think. It does and it doesn't. I mean, it, it has... No, it doesn't have quite the same edge. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Those, oh, did you hear that? Those, those. Somebody oh make god. note. Oh my god! Just, just, just deal with it. Okay. Next question. Um, a movie of his that you think you need to revisit? Uh, probably Bottle Rocket because it was one of the first ones I saw. Yeah. Clearly, because it's his first film, really, and um, or first feature, I should say. And uh, I just felt like I, I would like to watch it again because it falls in my I don't really like it stack. And I remember thinking, oh my god, this is so irritating. This is like a film that my baby brother would have made when we were in seventh grade and thought that he was so cool that's what it vibes to me yeah i um i think that movie's hilarious but it's obviously kind of the outlier because it's before he really refined his style right and and what that was but you know line by line performance by performance i think it's super funny and super winning for you know a first film sure um, I, I guess I would say The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Uh, but wait, movie... you already said which one you didn't like. Well, this is this is the one I think I need to revisit. Oh, I got you. I got you. I'm sorry. Um, and in 2004, when this movie came out, I saw it on Christmas Day because that was the sort of thing I did back mm-hmm. then. Um, you know, me, a senior in high school, going to see a Wes Anderson movie on opening day is pretty much, you could you could set your clock to it. It's it's that predictable. Um, I absolutely loved this movie when I saw it. And, and in recent years, and even at the time, it was the movie of his that his detractors pointed to as being self-parody. Like yeah. he's lapsing into this, this sort of overwhelming style over substance thing. He's certainly not turned away from that. I mean, I don't think you could accuse something like the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is overall, I think, a far more successful movie as as being particularly different. Um, But that movie, you know, in retrospect, feels, you know, you talk about an edge. The Life Aquatic has an edge. Yeah, I like The Life Aquatic a lot. And I feel like maybe that one is my I should revisit it because I wonder if um, it's been a long time since I've seen it. And this is the film that launched, you know, launched 1000 Urban Outfitters items. Yes. And so I wonder if revisiting it would that would nauseate me over it. I don't know. I, I kind of wonder the same thing. Like, is this is this the movie that that you know, along with the Darjeeling Limited, which again we'll get into that later, um, you know, kind of does lapse into that self parody um, a little too much. But but I, I remember it so fondly, and I remember it so. You know, I, I, I liked it so much at the time, um, but I don't think I've revisited it much since then. So Gotcha. So so that one I think is is coming up for a revisit. I've seen, 
you know, the Grand Budapest Hotel and Moonrise Kingdom like a bunch more times in the subsequent years than I've seen that one. Um, and I've seen the Darjeeling Limited twice because I don't like it very mm-hmm. much. Well, I would argue that they ram Moonrise Kingdom down your throat, too. I just feel like mm-hmm. it was like the one of the ones that's like, eh. anyway, do we have any other questions for the lightning round? I'm sure there's one that I can't remember, but uh, Wes Anderson overall good. I like Wes good Anderson. Good at making movies. Good at making movies. I mean... We didn't even talk about the animated ones, which fantastic are fantastic. Mr. Fox is fantastic. Yeah. So um, can you just close this out with a lightning round sound effect? Okay. Finally, Corey does something fun. Don't get used to it. So now it's time for Cal's Corner. Cal McKinnon is a features programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. He's going to take a few minutes to talk about whatever the heck he wants to. Hello. Last month, I got a hold of Criterion's recent restoration of Night of the Living Dead, and I had no idea I would be as excited about it as I am. Like, I've been putting the movie or the special features on a few times a week for the past three weeks, and let me be clear, I'm by no means a zombie fan at all, and I think, uh, I mean, I've seen a ton of zombie movies, but they're ultimately pretty disappointing, and I think that The Walking Dead is just utter garbage, and I had to get... I, I gave up on that after two seasons. Um, but in this case, I think Night of the Living Dead is absolutely wonderful and always seems to be refreshing. Um, but in this case, I, I was really surprised that I kept like going back to it. And I think it's a mix of a few things in that one, it's like the best it's ever looked before. And also my wife seems to like it a lot and she's never she never gravitates towards horror. Um, she's by no means a horror fan, but um, but yeah, she's real she really thinks it's kind of awesome. And also, the special features on this are really, really, really good. For instance, there's a video essay by the creator of the YouTube channel, Every Frame a Painting, where he breaks down into great detail things like um, why there will only be one person in a frame whenever the camera is locked down on a tripod. And he compares the editing and framing of the film to George Romero's earlier TV commercial work, which I highly recommend checking that out, um, especially like beer commercial, lawnmower commercial. It's great stuff, but it's striking how similar his techniques are in both the commercial and in Night of the Living Dead. There's also a great documentary on how the film's score was pulled from a stock music library, which I had no idea about. It really sounds like it was tailored for the film, and I can't believe it was just a, uh, basically just went through binders and binders of all these uh, different, like, 1950s scores. These were done 10, 15 years before the film even was produced, and uh, Ramiro just had just excellent taste in picking out even just a brief moment and an other, otherwise kind of like, kind of crappy track would would find the right moment that would work perfectly for a scene of like finding a gun in the house or uh or hammering the uh um hammering the windows shut um one of my favorite special features also is a late 1970s interview on the tom snyder show where Ramiro is talking about Night of the Living Dead and Don Coscarelli is talking about Phantasm and Ramiro is chain smoking the whole time and Snyder insists he he won't say the word horror because it sounds too much like he's saying horror and it's really ridiculous. He makes a point to say that. Um, there's a bunch of other features including an entire 16 millimeter work print of the original film um, which looks utterly amazing it has so much texture and all the splicing and grease marks are on there and it's really like I highly recommend just checking that out um, it when you watch it it feels like you're watching the film kind of like for the first time just in a whole different kind of presentation um, so 
I give this my highest endorsement. Um, it's currently on sale for $15 on the website www.amazon.com. And um, so, yeah, now's the time to pull the trigger. All right, check it out. This is Kyle with Budget Movie Reviews. Kyle McKinnon is a feature film programmer for the Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. So it's that, it's that time. It's that time, Corey. It's that time to wrap up and, um, you know, let our 10 listeners go about their day. Uh, come visit us at the Sidewalk Film Center in Cinema. Please. It's a fun place to see a movie. You might even see one of us there. Um, uh, yeah, you're probably going to. And uh, we're your to. own cinematic. And this one, by the way, is going to be more appropriate than probably any other your own cinematic outro we've ever done. Okay. All right. Your own cinematic, Dr. Drew and Adam. I, I don't know that reference. Okay. You need to look that up. Okay. All right. If you know that reference, you'll totally get it. It's it's like an MTV thing, right? It's like an MTV okay, thing. Yeah, that's that's that that got passed. Well, we're we're on Dr. Drew and Adam. Um, sure. So thank you for listening, and thank you so much to Boutwell Studios uh, for making us sound good and for putting a gong in the room. Yeah, just, that's thank really you. Key. That's really key. Uh, and for our nice chairs with like armrests, like this is awesome. Yeah, like I said, I think off mic, this is we're like the McLaughlin Group now. We're just you know very classily talking about this. Agreed. Stuff. Um, thanks to uh, Splash 96 for our great theme song. Always. And uh, check us out on social media um, at Sidewalk Fest on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where you'll see um, news about what we're playing at the Sidewalk Cinema, um, which we are, you know, actively doing now all the time. Sidewalkfest.com. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise. <laughs>